A very good morning to you, a warm welcome, wonderful to see you at Northwest Hills. What an exciting time of the year, what a wonderful day to be in God's house and to be singing praises to his name, fellowshipping together and studying his word. And it's so good to see you, I hope you're doing well and uh, thank you so much for joining with us for worship today. Whether it's your first time or a thousandth time, we are so glad you're here. We continue on in our study of the life of Daniel today. Daniel chapter 4 is where we'll find our place. Uh, We will go through the entire chapter, which is no short task. However, I will encourage you with this fact, we finished right on time in the first hour. So uh, there's miracles in Daniel 4, there's miracles at Northwest Hills. Uh, We went through the entire chapter, finished on time, and it was a really, really fun study. Um, And I'm so thankful I've gotten so many wonderful and kind comments on what this study has meant to you, and I'm so thankful to hear that. God's Word is powerful. It's alive, although this is a book that is, um, is, is ancient literature for sure. Um, it is God's truth, and all that it contains is true, and it is a blessing and just so real and so helpful for right where we're living today in 2018. Daniel chapter 4 is a very interesting chapter. As I studied it, I've probably spent more time on it and in this particular message than, than the others from Daniel to date uh, because of the complexity and the uniqueness of the chapter. And some of the most wonderful scholars, and I have their wonderful books, their guides, their, their podcasts, their teachings on this amazing book. And chapter four is one that, that creates some questions. There's just, there's just some pause points in this chapter as you try to determine what exactly is going on in Nebuchadnezzar's life and heart. Where is he really uh, with God? And, and, and is, he, is he with God or not? Does he have a relationship with the true God or not? And, and you see things that sort of give you that idea and then it sort of caves in. And, and yet you'll see where it ends. And it is just an amazingly interesting and inspiring and engaging chapter. And I pray that every ounce of it, every word, every verse will be an encouragement and a challenge to you. And you will leave here with something that you can use in your life right where you're living it today. Daniel chapter 4 starts out really, really well. King Nebuchadnezzar sent this message to the people of every race and nation and language throughout all the world. It is uh, very important for us to realize that King Nebuchadnezzar was an extremely powerful king in his day. Babylon, an extremely influential force in the day and in the age. It's probably, um, it's very difficult for me to really express how powerful they really were. You would have definitely labeled them a superpower in their day. King Nebuchadnezzar sent this message out to every race, nation, language throughout the world. Peace and prosperity to you. I want all of you to know about the miraculous signs and wonders the Most High God has performed for me. How great are his signs, how powerful his wonders, his kingdom will last forever, his rule through all generations. We read that and go, wow, what is going on in this this man's heart? We've seen him in the high highs and the low lows of one, two, and three, and did uh, his experience with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace make a huge spiritual impact on this king? Did something happen when he leaned forward? Uh, and could feel the heat upon his face of that furnace and see not only three in there, but four and one like the son of God. Did he come face to face with the reality that our God is a God who can rescue, who can save, who can redeem? 
we hear these first uh, three verses and we're really intrigued as to where this king is at. And yet it seems to cave in in verse 4. I, Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar, was living in my palace in comfort and prosperity. But one night I had a dream that frightened me. I saw visions that terrified me as I lie, as I lay in my bed. My first point in this message, and we'll go entirely through the fourth chapter. I'm going to cover it in three simple points. And the first point is this, here we go again. That's the title of the first point. Here we go again. We've seen this movie before. We've seen this scene before. We've been encouraged. There's peace in the valley. All is well. Nebuchadnezzar living in my palace in comfort and prosperity. Trust me, that's an understatement. But one night I had a dream that frightened me. I saw visions that terrified me as I lay in my bed. Here we go again. Point A under that, we have an upset king. What does he do as he deals with this vision and this dream that terrified him? So I issued an order calling in all the wise men of Babylon so they could tell me what my dream meant. When all the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and fortune tellers came in, I told them the dream, and then I underlined this in my Bible, I underlined the next phrase, but they could not tell me what it meant. Here we go again. We have what? We have a upset king. We have a useless court. I think this is the fourth time he's called them in, asking them to interpret, to share, to explain something, and not one time. Oh, for four, they are in their ability to tell the king exactly what's going on and what the dream means and what is happening uh, in their life and in his life. They're not doing well at all. We have an upset king. We have a useless court. Here we go again. But watch what happens. At last, Daniel came in before me and I told him the dream. He was named Belteshazzar. Now that's consistent. If we go back to chapter one and you go down to verse seven, the chief of staff renamed them with these Babylonian names. Daniel was called Belteshazzar, Hananiah, Shadrach, Mishael was called Meshach, Azariah was called Abednego. And so all of a sudden this comes out here in chapter 4. I, Daniel, came in. His name was called Belteshazzar. Look at this. After my God, little g. Uh Uh-oh, wait a minute. What happened with what we were reading up in verses 2 and 3? Where's Nebuchadnezzar really at? Belteshazzar, after my God, and the spirit of the holy gods is in him. All little g's there. Got to note that. I said to him, Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, I know that the spirit of the holy God is in you and that no mystery is too great for you to solve. Now tell me what my dream means. While I was lying in my bed, this is what I dreamed. I saw a large tree in the middle of the earth. Watch this church. It's really interesting. The tree grew very tall and strong, reaching high into the heavens for all the world to see. It had fresh green leaves It was loaded with fruit for all to eat. Wild animals lived in its shade and birds nested in its branches. All the world was fed from this tree. I don't have a tree that's quite this big, but I've got a really nice tree in my front yard. And I look out yesterday mid-morning and there is a mama deer and there's two little deer, uh, a doe and two fawns underneath that tree and they're taking shelter from the rain. I look back about 15 minutes later and a nice buck deer has joined them. Sitting on the antlers of a buck deer is a bird. Can you believe that? I lie to you not. And I'm going, wow. I start thinking, does God want to give me a dream? 
because I see this big tree and it's green and it's got lots of growth and it's got animals underneath of it taking shelter. And I'm going, oh, wow, what's going on here? And there it is. We see this in Oregon, don't we? It had fresh green leaves and it was loaded with fruit for all to eat. Wild animals lived in its shade, birds nested in its branches. All the world was fed from this tree. This is going to show you how powerful Babylon is. Make the correlation when we get down a little bit deeper. All the world was fed from this tree. Then as I lay there dreaming, I saw a messenger, a holy one coming down from the heaven. The messenger shouted, cut down the tree and lop off its branches Shake off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Chase the wild animals from its shade and the birds from its branches. But, the, but leave the stump and the roots in the ground, bound with a band of iron and bronze and surrounded by tender grass. There's how we leave the stump and roots. Now let him be drenched with the dew of heaven and let him live with the wild animals among the plants of the field for seven periods of time. Let him have the mind of a wild animal instead of the mind of a human. For this has been decreed by the messengers. It is commanded by the holy ones that everyone may know that the most high rules over the kingdoms of this world. He gives them to anyone he chooses, even to the lowliest of people. Belteshazzar, that was the dream that I, King Nebuchadnezzar, had. Now tell me what it means. For none of the wise men, my king, none of the wise men of my kingdom can do so. But you can tell me, because the spirit of the holy gods, little G, is in you. Verse nineteen. We're just about halfway through this section, this chapter. Upon hearing this, Daniel, also known as Belteshazzar, I love this. I love the authenticity here. Was overcome for a time, frightened by the meaning of the dream. You know, as we traverse through life, we're going to become at times frightened and overwhelmed by the things we deal with in our life. And one of the great things and one of the great practical lessons that I think Daniel gives us in chapter one, two, three, really all the way through to chapter six, in this sort of biographical section of this book, Daniel shows us the importance of seeking God's wisdom for everyday life. You know, we can get knowledge from a lot of different places. We really, really can. Uh, just this past week, um, I was telling, uh, in fact, visiting with Russ before the service, and we're getting some new floors in our house, and, and uh, we chose to tear out the old flooring uh, to save a little bit of money, but we're going to have someone put in the new flooring, and I had a section in my entry of tile that I needed to bring up. And uh, one of the homes we owned in Las Vegas, I watched a guy bring up the tile, and it was so easy. <laughs> and I said to my wife, Jamie, I got this. I said, I think, I said, I I, I kid you not. I think I can have that tile up in about an hour. Well, um, I had, I started with my hammer and my wonder bar and I am hammering and sparks are flying and chips are flying and I am hammering. And I mean, it sounds like I'm going to tear this house down. My wife shows up 20 minutes later and I've got like these four little chunks out. That's all. She said, that's, that's all. And I said, that's all. I said, I think we've made a huge mistake here. (laughs) So what do I do? You know what I did? I'm sweating like a dog. I'm filthy. I set up on the steps. Carpet's already off all of those. I sit there on the steps. I pull my phone out of my pocket. I go to G-O-O-G-L-E. And I Google what? How to remove tile. It sends me to a YouTube video. I said, that's where I should have gone first. I go to YouTube. How to remove tile tile. 
only to find out I need a power tool to do this kind of tile because this is an entirely different situation than what we... And I'm gaining all kinds of knowledge. So I call some of my friends here at Northwest Hills. And one of them says, oh, you don't want to do that with a... Right? And he takes about 20 minutes and educates me on the phone right in line with this video I just watched of how to handle this tile project. And he says, don't worry, I've got what you need. I'll have it in your office by 8 o'clock tomorrow morning. Well, that was another issue. I open up this thing in my office. Hey, Derek, stop by here for a second. <laughs> Could you give me a little tutorial on how... Right? You can get knowledge from a lot of different places. Let me tell you this. You can only get wisdom from one place, and that's from God. And Daniel shows us the importance of getting wisdom from God. And wisdom is the ability to then use knowledge skillfully so as to live a joyful, peaceful life that what? Honors God and blesses others. Wisdom is the ability to use knowledge skillfully in order to live a life that will be an honor and a blessing to God and honor and encouragement to others. And that's what Daniel shows us. And you know what, guys? Whether it's a silly tile project or whether it's a son or a daughter that's struggling in school, that's a lot more serious, really. Or whether it's a financial problem or a health crisis or a marital situation, we're going to come up against difficulties in our life that are breathtaking to us. And this is exactly what Daniel is facing here. And remember, we're still under point one. Here we go again. An upset king, a useless court, but look what Daniel does. Daniel gains understanding and wisdom from God. And that is one of the great encouragements from Daniel 1, 2, 3, and 4. I think it's a practical takeaway from the life of Daniel series. When we come up against any difficulty in our life, and may I just say this, really for every moment of our life, let's seek God's wisdom. And let's ask him to help us to have the wisdom that we need to use the knowledge that we can garner from a lot of different places in order to live a skillful and blessed life that will honor God and be an encouragement and blessing to others. We need his wisdom. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not unto your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. Proverbs 1, 1 through 7, just a clarion HD call for us to seek that wisdom from God, that wisdom that can allow us to live our lives skillfully and successfully. So Daniel's going to get that wisdom from God. Daniel, also known as Belteshazzar, was overcome for a time, frightened by the meaning of the dream. I'm going to tell you, this week I was overcome by that tile sweating, not moving the needle at all. What have I done? Look at this mess. I said, Lord, you got to give me wisdom. Lord, I got to go on and learn. And I got to talk to people who know how to do this far, far better than I do. You know, that's something else that goes hand in hand with wisdom. You know what goes hand in hand with wisdom? Humility. When we just acknowledge the fact that we need God to help us with the situations that we're dealing with in our life. Belteshazzar, don't be alarmed by the dream and what it means, the king said. Belteshazzar replied, I wish the events foreshadowed in this dream would happen to your enemies, my lord, and not to you. The tree you saw, verse 20, was growing very tall and strong, 
reaching high into the heavens for all the world to see. It had fresh green leaves and was loaded with fruit for all to eat. Wild animals lived under its shade, birds nest in its branches. That tree, your majesty, is you. For you have grown strong and great. Your greatness reaches up to the heaven and your rule to the ends of the earth. Think of that. Wow. Then you saw a messenger, a holy one, coming down from the heaven and saying, Cut down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stumps and the roots in the ground, bound with a band of iron and bronze and surrounded by tender grass. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. Let him live with the animals of the field for seven periods of time. By the way, we've seen that phrase, seven periods of time. A Jewish period of time was one year. So in other words, something's going to happen to King Nebuchadnezzar that's going to last seven years seven years. Well, what's going to happen? What's all this mean? Verse 25, you will be driven from human society and you will live in the fields and with the wild animals. You will eat grass like a cow and you will be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven periods of time, there it is, seven years will pass while you live this way. Can you imagine? until you learn that the Most High rules over the kingdoms of the world and gives them to anyone he chooses. But the stump and the roots of the tree were left in the ground. This means that you will receive your kingdom back when you have learned that the king of heaven rules. In other words, you have learned these important lessons over that seven-year period. What have we seen in this here-we-go-again section? We've seen an upset king. We've seen a useless court. We've seen Daniel again gets understanding from God that I don't want you to miss verse 27. We see once again Daniel's uncanny boldness. Look at his uncanny boldness. King Nebuchadnezzar, please accept my advice in light of this dream. And I was thinking about this this week. You know what it's really like? This is like a Hail Mary. Daniel's really encouraging King Nebuchadnezzar here to throw a Hail Mary from his heart to the heart of God. King Nebuchadnezzar, please accept my advice. I love this. This is how bold it is. And bear in mind, he's talking to the dude whose kingdom rules over all the world, the known world, a superpower and a super king. King Nebuchadnezzar, please accept my advice. Stop sinning, do what is right, break from your wicked past, and be merciful to the poor. Perhaps then you will continue to prosper. Maybe King Nebuchadnezzar, if you'd just throw a Hail Mary... Not to the little G God, but to the capital G God. That one that you saw, that fourth one walking in that fire, that king of kings and lord of lords, that sovereign God over all the universe, that one who created it all, who rules it all, who knows it all, who, by the way, King Nebuchadnezzar, you may not realize this yet, but you're about ready to realize it, who even sets you up as king, and in any moment, he can take you down as king. He's God. And if you would get right in your heart with his heart and his heart with your heart, maybe things could change. What's going to happen? Verse 28, startling. But all these things did happen to King Nebuchadnezzar 12 months later. So in other words, from the time that he had this dream, the court could tell him nothing. Daniel told him everything because he got wisdom and knowledge from God. Daniel delivers uncanny bold advice that the king really ignores for 12 months. He just really went on business as usual. I wonder if he forgot about the dream during that time. I wonder if it haunted him. I wonder if it just sat on his, on his shoulder and just, 
and just kept sort of talking to him in his own mind, in his own mind. I don't know, but, but a year goes by. 12 months later, he was taking a walk on a flat roof of the royal palace in Babylon. As he looked out across the city, he said, don't miss this. Look at this great city of Babylon. Can you just see that scene? Look at this great city of Babylon. By my own mighty power, I have built this beautiful city as my royal residence to display my, there are far too many personal pronouns in here. This is not going to end well for King Nebuchadnezzar and you guys already were sniffing it out. My power, my royal residence, my majestic splendor. While those words were still in his mouth, a voice from heaven called down. Now we're back 12 months earlier to the dream. In a moment like that, everything changes. A voice calls down from heaven. And what does it say? Oh, King Nebuchadnezzar, this message is for you. You are no longer ruler of this kingdom. You will be driven from human society. You will live in the fields with the wild animals and you will eat grass like a cow. Seven periods of time, seven years will pass while you live this way. Can you imagine that? Until the, and, and you will be this way until you learn that the Most High rules over the kingdoms of the world and gives them to anyone he chooses. That same hour, the judgment was fulfilled and Nebuchadnezzar was driven from human society. He ate grass like a cow and he was drenched with the dew of heaven. He lived this way until his hair was as long as the eagle's feathers and his nails were like bird's claws. Unbelievable. What is God doing with this king? You know what God is doing with this king? God is humbling this king. God is showing this king who's who in the equation of life. And he is forcing this king to scour out any pride that he had in self-adulation and self-glorification. And by the way, it was that stroll across that flat roof and all of those personal pronouns that hastened on the reality of this dream. You know what? God is a long-suffering God. What might have happened had Nebuchadnezzar stopped his sinful ways? Had Nebuchadnezzar humbled his heart? Had Nebuchadnezzar really sought out what a relationship would be like with that God that was in that fire, the fourth one, the son of God walking among them? But he didn't do that. He continued on in his absolute arrogant and prideful ways. And what we see happen here over a seven-year period is God humbling this king. The other day I took my daughter to a sleepover. I was driving back on Tampico. And a guy was there in his pickup truck, a hunter, could tell it. And he was looking at something through binoculars. I said, this has got to be interesting. So I stopped in the middle of the road. Nobody was coming. Well, mirror behind me. I kept checking. Nobody was coming. I look out there. There's a whole herd of elk out there in this big field. Beautiful. First time I'd seen elk in Oregon 2.0, my 2.0 experience with Oregon. Beautiful herd of elk out there. And the hunter, he's watching them out there. And they're eating and they're interacting. And I wonder if people came and, and, and with their binoculars looked out there and said, 
the king's still out there. He's on all fours. He's eating grass. His hair looks longer than he did last month when we checked on him. He's out there just, he, he's literally been put out to pasture by God. You know what, church? You know why? Because of pride. Don't allow so much pride, ungodly, unhealthy pride to be in your mind, to be in your heart, that you would get an unrealistic view of yourself that God would have to put you out to pasture to humble you in order to bring you back to where you need to be in your life to be in proper tune with him. Pride. There can be, I think, a healthy sense of pride. There's a healthy sense of of accomplishment. There's a joy in honoring God for the great things that are happening in one's life. But we also know there is a very unhealthy sense of pride as well. And I'm going to tell you, the difference between the two can be very sneaky. And really what God is dealing with here is a spirit of pride that was just robust in this king's heart. And God begins to scour it out. Look what pride got him. Pride turned him into a vegetarian for seven years. That's reason enough right there for me to be humble every day of my life. That's horrific. And I say that with all due respect to our vegetarians. It was his season. It's not our season yet. Maybe before long. We don't know. But look at that. Look what this man went through. The king of all power in the world at that time, one of the greatest superpower empires, and he's out in a pasture on his knees eating grass all fours like a cow. Looks like a wild man out of his mind. Point one. Here we go again. An upset king, a useless court, understanding from God that Daniel brings an uncanny boldness, an opportunity to repent and turn. King doesn't take it. Point two, verse 28, all the way down to 33. I call it unbelievable developments. Unbelievable developments. In just a moment, he's off of the royal palace's roof. He's out of the kingdom. He's out here like a cow. He's on all fours. The dew is upon his back. His hair's like an eagle. His fingernails are like bird's claws and he is an absolute hot mess but look what happens in verse 34 after this time had passed and here's our third point and we're going all the way through this chapter and here's what I call it everything changes everything changes and we get the sense notice my language there we get the sense that everything really changes once and for all in this king's heart Something is different between his heart and God's heart. And we don't know all the details, but something is mega changing. After this time, these seven years had passed, I, Nebuchadnezzar, now he's sharing his testimony, looked up to heaven, and my sanity returned. My sanity returned. And I praised and worshiped the Most High and honored the one who lives forever. Look what he says about him his rule is everlasting. His kingdom is eternal. All the people of the earth are nothing compared to him. Boy, he got it, didn't he? All the people of the earth are nothing compared to him. He does as he pleases among the angels of heaven and among the people of the earth. No one can stop him or say to him, what do you mean by doing these things? When my sanity returned to me, so did my honor and my glory and my kingdom. Remember those stumps and roots. 
were bound together by that bronze and brass cords. My advisors and nobles sought me out, and I was restored as head of my kingdom with even greater honor than before. And verse 37 will be the last words we'll ever hear spoken by Nebuchadnezzar. It's the last word we know of him. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, what a way to go out. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and glorify and honor the king of heaven. All his acts are just. All his acts are true. And he is able to humble the proud. You see, you go down to chapter 5, verse 1. Look what happens many years later. We got a new king now, King Belshazzar. Don't confuse that with Daniel, Belteshazzar. No T in there. King Belshazzar is now ruling and reigning in Babylon. And we never hear another word from King Nebuchadnezzar. All along with this king in the first four chapters, we've walked with him. All along with this king in the first four chapters, we've seen his high highs and his low lows. We've seen his sanity and his insanity. We've seen him bless. We've seen him curse. We've seen him be healthy. We've seen him be absolutely at the brink of absolute insanity. And all of that is lived out. But through all of it, God was at work in this man's life. Don't forget how the story opens back in Daniel chapter 1, verse 1. During the third year of King Jehoiakim's reign in Judah, here he is. First time we learn of him, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. Can never forget those next three words of verse 2 in chapter 1. The Lord gave. The Lord gave him the victory. God was at work in this king's life all the way through. And we come to this amazing, wild, crazy, interesting chapter 4. And we see what? We see that here we go again. We see what? We see unbelievable developments. And we see what? At the end of Nebuchadnezzar's story... Everything changes. And here are my three huge takeaways for your life and your heart today. Number one, we must all learn from Nebuchadnezzar and from Daniel and from Daniel chapter four, the importance of saying no to pride and yes to humility. Church, I can't tell you how important it is that we scour out all intellectual, spiritual, financial, relational, whatever it is, pride from our life. The Bible says in the wonderful epistles of Peter that God resisteth the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. If we choose a prideful path and a prideful heart and a prideful life, if we just get eaten up with all those personal pronouns, I'm just going to tell you based on the absolute panoply of Scripture and the biblical evidence, it's sure, quick and fast, God leans away from prideful people. But I'm going to tell you what, he leans into those who are humble. And out of this story, it's just a practical application point that we need to say no to pride and we need to say yes to humility. We need to say no to ourself. We need to say yes to God. Major takeaway number two. We see in this passage the importance of trusting God. Did you catch that? I got to tell you, it is a difficult section. I just want to go ahead and just acknowledge that it's not necessarily a problem to solve. It is a tension to manage. 
All the people of the earth are nothing compared to him, verse 35. He does as he pleases among the angels of heaven and among all the people of the earth. No one can stop him or say to him, what do you mean by doing these things? Here's what I want to say. Not only must we say no to pride and yes to humility, we must trust God. And here's what I've got to tell you today. Sometimes trusting God is hard and scary. You know why? Because sometimes you're going to trust him to do something and you're going to believe he's going to do something and you're going to pray for him to do something and he's not going to do it. I've had that experience two or three times in my life. I can think of one situation. I will not go into all the details. I'll weep like a baby before you, I promise you. Situation in my life where I begged God to do something. I just was convinced. I mean, how could this not be right? How could this not be just the absolute most loving and right thing? And God did not choose to do it. And I had to take a bold step and do what I had to do, believing all along and trying to understand why it is that God didn't arrange things. I knew he had the power. I know I believe fully he has the power to do whatever he wants. He can rule and reign in hearts. He can change circumstances. He sets up kings. He removes kings. And in my mind, I just was convinced Lord, I know this has to be your will. I prayed for it. I believe I had tons of other people praying for it. But you know what? He didn't choose to do it. And church, I got to tell you something. He doesn't answer to me. And he doesn't have to do what I want him to do. I have to make sure that my heart gets right with his heart. I've got to adjust to him. He doesn't have to adjust to me. He's God. I'm not. Sometimes he'll do things that you can't understand why he did it. Sometimes he won't do things that you desperately want to see him do. And it's so easy for me to stand up here and it just rolls off our lips. Trust God. But we have to come to grips with the fact that sometimes trusting God is hard and it's scary. But are you to the place in your life that you can trust his heart when you cannot trace his hand? Where you can trust his heart when you cannot trace his hand. You know what? That also requires a level of humility to say, God, I will trust you even at times when it does not make sense to me. How could you not have delivered that child from that addiction? How could you not have healed my husband or my wife from that affliction? How could you let this person suffer and languish in that situation. Lord, what in the world are you up to? Sometimes these things just blow our minds. But it's important that we out of a humble heart and a God-seeking heart learn the joy of trusting him. We saw that back in chapter three. It was so powerful with Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. And the one thing that we noticed about these individuals is that they trusted God. Trust God. We believe him. Look at verse 26. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. 320, excuse me, 328. Praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angels to rescue his servants who trusted him. They show us that pattern of unbelievable trust. Everything changes when we say no to pride and yes to humility. Everything changes when we choose to trust God, even when it's hard and even when it's scary. 
And everything can change when God works in the hearts and lives of crazy people who are in crazy circumstances as a result of their crazy choices. And that ought to encourage some people in this room. Because you've got some things going on in your family and at work. And we say, this is crazy. I can't believe our adult son is making that choice or is going down that road. I can't believe our grandson or granddaughter is making that choice or going down that road or is choosing to think like this or out into that or doing this or there. Or my spouse is talking like this. I cannot believe we're at this moment. We're actually having this conversation. Crazy situations, crazy scenarios. Guess what? God can get in the middle of those and he can do an amazing work in hearts and he can take what is crazy and he can work it out for his good and for his honor and for his glory. And don't just think because things have gotten crazy in your relationship or with your kids or with the grandkids or at work or with your finances that that is the end of the story. Because if at any point up until chapter four, what's that last verse? Verse 37, if we had stopped short of that, we would have just been left in sort of just chaos with Nebuchadnezzar. But God can take that chaos and he can bring it out to a purpose. God took this mess of Nebuchadnezzar's life and turned it into a message. And we see it in verse 37. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and glorify and honor the king of heaven. All his acts are just and true, and he is able to humble the proud. And at the end of his story, Nebuchadnezzar got it. And at the end of your child's story, he or she can get it. It's not over yet. And at the end of the testament of your marriage, you can say, and you can even help other couples downstream from you, listen, we got it. We were once in this mess, but let me tell you what God did. And how he walked right into our fire and he led us out and through because we trusted in him. It's not over yet. God was not finished with Nebuchadnezzar yet. And when we say no to pride and yes to humility, when we trust God, even when it's scary and when it's difficult, and when we believe that God can work even in the craziest people's lives and in the craziest circumstances, I'm gonna tell you what, we can start seeing verses like 437. And what a way for this king to go out. This crazy up and down king. This absolutely breathtaking story ends at the most wonderful verse. It is just a wonderful verse. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and glorify and honor the king of heaven. The only personal pronoun that's used there is in praise and honor and glory to the king of heaven. All his acts are just and true. And he is able to humble the proud. And guess what he says? I'm out of the pasture. I'm back in the palace. I'm off grass. And I'm back on meat. I'm out of insanity. You make the correlations. I'm not. And I'm back in sanity. I'm off all fours and I'm back on two. 
And I understand the absolute breathtaking power of our great God. And when we're humble before him, and when we trust him, and when we believe in what he can do, he can absolutely blow our minds. But don't forget, trusting him can be scary and it can be difficult and it requires a patient trusting of his heart even when we can't trace his hand. Father, we thank you for this amazing chapter. Is Nebuchadnezzar in heaven with you? Sure seems like it. Sure seems like this ended well, but at the end of the day, only you know his heart. And it's really only between you and him. But some amazing things were happening between your heart and his, and that's all we could ask for our spouses and our kids and our grandkids, those people we love, our neighbors, is that these individuals who we love would have an absolute heart-to-heart interaction with you. And may today nobody leave here hopeless. Not with God. There's no room for hopelessness. May nobody leave here today with pockets of pride. Lord, help us to scour out this pride be humble, to be watching what you're doing, to be believing that that where we're at today just very well may not be the last chapter written here. God, you're still on the throne. You're still working. You're still healing. You're still redeeming. You're still challenging. You're still encouraging. Lord, you're at work. That's so exciting. Lord, we thank you for Nebuchadnezzar and all that he taught us. We thank you for Daniel, who, as we read these chapters, see that he had quite an affinity for Nebuchadnezzar. They had obviously grown close over these years. My Lord, I I wish this wasn't about you. Seems to be a care that Daniel had in his heart for this king and how Daniel must have been thrilled to see the result of those seven years. Lord, thank you for how you work in our lives and the lives of those that we love. Teach us great lessons from this amazingly powerful chapter. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.